at the end of the day, we're all just looking for someone to tell us that it's going to be okay. I see this in the world all around me. I see it in my personal relationships. I see it on the news. I see it online. I see it hugely illustrated on social media. Everyone's just looking for someone to tell them that it's going to be okay. Well, it's my pleasure this morning, as your pastor, to tell you that it's going to be okay. How do you know, Todd? Because I've read Genesis 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now we get to a genealogy, everyone's favorite. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuven, Jacob's firstborn. And the sons of Reuven, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Karmi. The sons of Shimon, Yemuel, Yamin, Ohad, Yachin, Zohar, and Shaul. The sons of Levi, Merari. The sons of Yehuda, Er, Onan, Shela, Peretz, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Peretz were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yoav, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Yalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Yaakov and Padan Aram together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Chagai, Shuni, Ezbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. That means my lion, by the way. That's a cool name, Areli. My lion, like he got it as a gift. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Beraya, and Serah, their daughter, their sister. And the sons of Beraya, Hever, and Malkiel. That's a good one, Malkiel, God is my king. These are the sons of Zilpha, whom Lavan gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Yaakov, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Yosef and Benjamin. To Yosef in the land of Egypt were born Menashe and Ephraim, whom Asenat, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Nebupim. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Yaakov, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Chushim. The sons of Naphtali, Yazil, Guni, Yezer, and Shilem. These are the sons of Bilcha, whom Lavan gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Yaakov, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Yosef, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Yaakov who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him into Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. 
Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, By the way, I added the by the way, um, I'm going to go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they've been keepers of livestock, and they've brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. What a cool chapter. Man, this chapter rocked my world. I don't know if you're getting bored of uh, Pastor Todd losing his mind week after week. I hope not. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. It's pretty crazy. Like, every week I come to the text, and it absolutely blows my mind. So here is Keystone Habit number 10. Let me make sure it's literally week 10. Is it week 10 already? Crazy. Last week, Keystone Habit number 9. Keystone Habit number 10. Unite, because God is still involved. So you'll see the definition of a Keystone Habit on screen. What's important about Keystone Habits is they cascade into other habits in our life. So as you learn to embrace the Keystone Habits that we are discovering in the impossible dream, I believe that they have the capacity to begin changing the rest of your life. Keystone habit number 10, unite because God is still involved. Let me define the terms. Unite to become combined as if by adhesion or mixture. To adhere, to stick to. Mixture, to get mixed in. Unite, to become combined as if by adhesion or mixture. If you want to be okay, you just need to come to Jesus. Unite with, stick to him and his people. I could stop right there, and it would have been worth your trip. Okay? If you want to be okay, you just need to come to Jesus. You need to unite to him. To unite means to stick to to become combined with, as if by mixture or adhesion. Stick to Jesus and his people if you want to be okay. Isn't that good? (laughs) It's so simple, it's so good. That's why I had Jenny read to you from John 17 off the top. Jesus praying for his disciples, and then praying for you. I do not ask only for my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's all of us who have believed in Jesus having come to Jesus through the teaching of the apostles. Here's what he's praying for you, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world believes that Jesus is real in so much as you live a life that is stuck to God. Not through your political activity, not through your activism, not through your moral superiority. Okay, the world will come to believe that Jesus is real in so much as they see you stuck to God. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Jenny camped on this in her invocation. If you missed it, you missed a really powerful moment. To think that God gave the glory of Jesus to you and to me is absolutely mind-blowing. Especially when you think that glory means kavod, which comes from the root keved, kaved, which means heavy. You literally are formidable as you walk with Jesus. And the people around you should notice how formidable you are because you are so stuck to Jesus. Let me say that a Christian is only formidable when they look like Jesus. Because you and I both know that left our own devices, we're just not that impressive. The answer is not a better you. The answer is to unite with Jesus. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Thank you. You can stop the sermon there. This is why it is significant to be connected to God in Christ. Then and only then does the glory of God enter into your existence. So next time you meet a Christian who's like, you know, I'm, I'm just not really experiencing the glory of God in my life. Ask them if they're sticking with Jesus. Because to unite means to stick to, to adhere to. The answer to life is to connect to God and to each other. So I got 18 things to keep in mind as you make that necessary connection. You're going to love it. It's amazing. 18 things. One, there's always something next. Always something next. Verse 1, so Israel. So Israel. So what's next? Saw the Adam Sandler movie where he's going to be, so who's next? (laughs) He wants to be a barber. He wants to make everyone's hair silky smooth. So who's next? It's very Israeli. So what's next? Who's next? There's always the next challenge. You know how you sometimes feel tired because the next challenge has come? You've just defeated the first challenge. Next challenge comes. You're like, oh, why the next challenge? That's life. Okay, there's always the next challenge. But the story's not over. There's always the next moment of hope. <laughs> the thing about hope, though, is you've got to lay hold of it, which means watching for it. And then grabbing it with everything you got. So this, this might be the most practical, helpful, teachable from today's sermon. Start watching for hope. I do this like practically. I find myself in extremis. And I go, but I could buy a donut. I could eat some broccoli. I could go for a run. My legs still work, bless the Lord. You think I'm silly. Try it. Next time you find yourself in a difficult moment, stop. Survey your life to find the next tangible moment of hope. And then grab it. Nikki and I learned this from Viktor Frankl. Frankl, not Viktor Hugo. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Where he unpacks having survived, being interned in Auschwitz, And then, in the second half of the book, develops his philosophy of human hope. The essence of his thesis is that without hope, people cannot live. And I just want, I got the Holy Spirit. I just want to remind you that hope is not some esoteric concept that is far from you. (laughs) Somebody preach in this house. But in Christ, hope has come to you. 
And in fact, as you walk with him, hope dwells within you. You find yourself stressed. Woo! Find the next moment of tangible hope and grab it with everything you've got. If you'll forgive me, I will interpret the second part of verse 1 quite allegorically. Point number two, connection is going to take everything you've got. So Israel took his journey with everything he had. Yes, I know I'm not strictly interpreting this according to the rules of lexical whatever. Thanks, Dad. I actually thought my dad's here today. One of these Sundays I was going to say, Dad, you're the best preacher in the house. Why don't you come do it? I love you. Everything I know, I learned from you. Israel took his journey with everything he had. You'll like this. How many things in your life are you doing with everything you have? Everything you have. And is your connection to Jesus and his family even remotely on the list? People wonder why their faith is weak. And they wonder why they have no joy. It's in the softness of our Western affluence. We have forgot what it means to give it everything we've got. And having been surrounded for so long by a secular humanistic culture, we have forgotten to apply that tenacity to our relationship with Jesus. Next time I deal with someone pastorally, I'm going to say, go give it everything you've got and then come back and talk to me in six months. And I absolutely do mean Jesus and his family. Point three, to connect with everything you've got, you're going to need a family kind of faith. Verse one, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father. This is a family kind of faith. Jacob's faith is rooted in the story of his family. So I can say two very important things that, again, I learned from my dad. All right, so here's the first important thing. If you have godly heritage, this is supremely true for you. That your faith is rooted in the faith of your mothers and the faith of your fathers. So live like it. Rise to the level of your heritage. From those to whom much has been given, much also will be expected. If you have no godly heritage, and I have heard my dad preach this point at least 16 times in my 46 years of life. If you have no godly heritage, it is true for you that your faith is rooted in the story of your family because in Christ you have been adopted into the family of God. And your privilege as a first generation believer is to become the new matriarch, the new patriarch, the first in a line of queens and kings who will one day be lauded to the high heavens as the founder of a godly line. Live like your old money. Because you are not alone. You can connect, point four, with confidence because you know that God speaks 
This happens in verses 2 through 4. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. I hope I do well with this next sequence, because it wrote just epically. I thank God I've lived to come to this day. And God spoke. From the beginning, God speaks. At creation, God speaks everything that is into being. At Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, God speaks to his friend Moses from the storm. Through the prophets, God speaks and says, one will come from the branch. One will come from the root of Jesse. And his kingdom will have no end in the word made flesh. Supremely, God speaks. And upon the cross, God speaks when he says, it is finished. In the empty tomb, God speaks and says, I win. With his outpoured spirit in Acts chapter 2, God speaks. And yes, friends, as the spirit fills and releases and empowers you, God speaks through your actions. And at the last trumpet, He shall speak with the voice of an archangel. And when he welcomes you home, he will speak and say to you, well done. And at the end of the age, as he begins the new, he will speak and he will say, Hine, Aniose, Hakol, Chadash. Behold, I make all things new. Friend, God speaks. Take heart. And if you think he doesn't speak, I will bet $1,000 that you don't read your Bible, you don't spend any time in prayer, you don't press in at all in worship, you don't spend any time at all giving your relationship with Jesus everything you've got. I bet you. You're like, Todd, you're preaching like you used to preach two years ago. You're a little too loud. Calm down, Todd. I will not. I will not. Because, point five, he calls by name. Yaakov! Not only does he know you by name, but he calls you by name. That's point five. And point six, your only necessary response is to be available. Here am I. You could weep for the glory. Here am I. You want to connect with God? Just make yourself available. Point seven, just settle into relationship with him. Verse three, I am the God of your father. Hear me, church. God does not exist in a vacuum. He identifies himself in relationship. You are not alone. If you feel alone, it's probably because you are. Because you have not yet come home to Jesus. Come home to Jesus today. I passed six guys on the drive to church this morning, driving up Edinburgh. I kid you not, I wanted to jump out of the car, kidnap them, and bring them to church so they could taste and see that the Lord is good. So clearly was despair writ on their features. 
as they embrace just another mundane Sunday with nothing special about it and nothing hopeful on the horizon. And I thought to myself, I can tell you something that will give you hope. Come home to Jesus today. Come home to his people today. Um, Point eight, don't be afraid. Point nine, just go where he tells you to go. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid. Just go. All right, I'm going to be a little prophetic here. What fear needs to die in you today because Jesus has conquered death? Write it down. Name it and claim it. Don't be afraid. Just go. Where is God calling you to go today? Write it down. Obey it. Stop disqualifying yourself from going where God tells you to go because it seems weird. That is a rhema word for me today. I was like, I did not expect to be building a church in Guelph. (laughs) Not at all. Never in a million years. Ever. Never. There's no ocean here. I just, what? It's less than a million people. I don't understand at all. Okay? God told me to come here. Okay. Just go wherever he tells you to go. Because, point 10... You never know where or how God's going to keep his promises to you, but he will. For there I will make of you a great nation. How totally weird that God chose to fulfill the promise to Abraham through Jacob in Egypt. (laughs) Totally weird. God chooses the place. God is the divine actor. God is the maker. You are the subject of his action, and he is keeping his promises. Why? Why is he keeping his promises? Because, point 11. You thought I wouldn't get to 18 in the time, but I'm going to. Why is he keeping his promises? Because this is personal to him. Somebody shout at me. Look at verse 4. I myself... I don't even need to preach anymore. I myself will go down with you. God's involvement in your life is personal to him. Bette Midler was wrong. He's not watching you from a distance. He dwells within you by the power of his spirit. In Christ you are his and he is yours. And he is the Father's. You're seated with Christ You're seated with God in Christ even now in heavenly places. Like, how's that even possible? I don't know, but it's awesome. It's personal. I'm hurting myself from punching my fist. (laughs) I myself will go down with you, okay? (laughs) You are not dealing here with some impersonal universe. He is not some distant God. Point 12, Emmanuel himself is connected to you. Again, holler at me, verse 4. I myself will go down with you. Anytime you read with in the Hebrew, it's code for Immanuel. With us, God. Friend, the God who loves raising things back up is your traveling companion. That's point 13. I'm still in verse 4. And I will also bring you up again. That's a prophetic word I could get behind. Do you receive it? I'm going to send you down to Egypt. God knows Jake's a bit nervous about this because he's not from there. 
And he knows that God promised the promised land to his fathers. Why are you sending me away from the land that you promised to my fathers? Sometimes God does things that don't make sense. At the time. Give me another 400 years before God leads his people up in the great exodus. I think I'll probably start exodus next new year. I will also bring you back up again. I think of the waters of baptism. You die, you're brought back up. I think of the promise of resurrection. You die, you'll be brought back up. Friend, you have been raised with Christ. Colossians 2 teaches us this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over over them in him. My dear friends, the victory of God in Christ is your victory. It is absolutely yours. And that is why it is not hyperbolic to say with point 14 that God is fulfilling his people's dreams. Still in verse 4, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Even in death, God promises to care for Jacob. This is Jacob's dearest hope that he'll be reunited to Yosef, Joseph. And God tells him not only to be reunited with him, but he will be with you as you die. And bless the Lord, his hands will close your eyes. Friend, if you belong to Jesus, it is 100% true to say that all your dreams are coming true because I'm here to tell you this morning that the tomb is still empty in Jerusalem and everlasting life with God and his friends is your destiny. What more could you ever want or need? Worship team, you can join me. I imagine you'll want to raise the roof with worship after this. Here's the point. Even if you feel forgotten or marginalized, you're not. Because, point 15, he loves using seemingly forgotten people like Leah, Zilpah, Rachel, and Bilchah, the two wives and two concubines of Jacob, to tell his story. And it is International Women's Day, and I would be remiss if I did not remind you, women, that you too are made in God's image and likeness, literally in his tselem, literally in his reflection. And so when we see you, we see God's image. And the greatness that you feel within you is right and good. And it is a greatness that you ought to stir up and unleash on the world. Because as you do so, you are giving God his glory. And that glory which in Christ he has placed in you. 
And so I give honor to my mother, Catherine, who is here, and to my wife, and to my daughters, and to their friends, and to my friends in this house, and to the women who helped to found this church all those 40 plus years ago. I give you honor in this house, and I remind you that even if you have ever felt marginalized, you are not, because God sees fit to have the author of the book of Genesis include these four women here in this narrative, and women never got included in the narrative. All the women ought to shout at me one time in this house. Am I the biggest feminist in this bunch? Help me, Lord. He's a big fan of reunions also, point 16, just like when Joseph falls on his father's neck in verse 29 through 30, which is why, point 17, even death is a peaceful prospect for you, just like it was for Jacob in verse 30. Why? Because we know that your past is settled. Point 18, your future and your present are secure. Just like Joseph making sure his brothers are going to be able to continue shepherding in verses 31 through 34. Okay? Your past is settled. Your future and your present are secure. Why? Because you're connected to God and to his people. So it's going to be okay. Okay?